Blog Talk Radio. Everybody and welcome to today's episode of Trundlebed Tales. Uh, tonight we are looking at episode 43, and it's called All's Fair. But before we get into that, we're going to have just a little bit of housekeeping. And that is to remind you that you can call in at 714-242-5253. That's 714-242-5253 or toll free 1-877-633-9389. That's 1-877-633-9389. Nine three eight nine. You can also chat while the you stream the live episodes. The chat room is now open, and if you miss an episode, you can always download it for free from iTunes at the under podcasts, looking for Trundle Bed Tales. So, I'm really excited to have everybody with me tonight, and hopefully, uh, you'll enjoy learning about All's Fair. And I decided to do a topic about fairs because I got to thinking fair season tends to be kind of an important thing here in Iowa. Um, my mom judges at several fairs. I've I haven't didn't I didn't do any this year, but I've been a fair judge. We've been involved with various fairs and showing at them for a really long time in this family. In, all the way up to the state fair, which I did a podcast about for the travel times, encouraging people to what to go see and, and how to go to the fair. But then it occurred to me that I might have been starting a little bit high because people who aren't country people may not have that same background. And I thought it might help you understand both the fair in Farmer Boy, which is the one place that there's an actual full-fledged fair in the books, and also the fairs that Laura didn't write about uh, that were held in Mansfield in her later years, and she was actively involved in those. So it should help you figure out maybe a little bit better picture of what's going on and why, at least I hope it will, And as I love fairs, I figure that I am probably the best person to share that love with you. Now, first off, agriculture, or well, first off, I guess I should say, since I mentioned the fair in Farmer Boy, that the Franklin County Fair in New York is going on basically as we speak. And it is the same fair that Almanzo and his family visited in Farmer Boy. It's also in the same location, which I'm guessing was at that time on the outskirts of town, although town's kind of grown up around it. 
I don't know if any of the buildings that are there are the same buildings, but it's the same space and the very same racetrack that Laura describes uh, in Farmer Boy is there. I think it would be really great to get to go visit the Franklin County Fair, and I hope that eventually I will get to do that. In fact, it also has a connection to Laura fandom, not just because it was mentioned in the books, but also because before the Almanzo farm got going there in Malone or Burke, which it's right on the border, New York, the Franklin County Historical Society and the Franklin House of History sort of made themselves um, a spot to find out about Farmer Boy, mostly due to the work of um, Almanzo's cousins, the Smiths. But uh, so they had a sort of display on Farmer Boy every year at the Franklin County Fair, uh, at least all through the 60s. And I think it went up into the 70s. So it was for a long time sort of one of the places where you could get a little feel of Farmer Boy uh, in that area. So it, it's really kind of an important place to an event to Laura fandom. All right, to back off of that a little bit and give you a bit of, bit of more general uh, character of fairs. Now, the fairs I'm talking about very specifically are the agricultural fairs that got started in the 1830s, 40s, and 50s and sort of spread out around the country. Pretty much any place that's an agricultural uh, area now has a county fair, and it really became part of the agricultural tradition. These fairs, as they were started in the 19th century, had sort of three main purposes. One was to learn new things. Now, the 19th century, it was very important people to kind of learn the newest and uh, best techniques and uh, to learn about the new breeds that were being introduced, the new equipment that was being introduced, and the fair was the perfect place to do that. In fact, learning about new equipment is still a reason where a lot of people go to fairs. Another thing uh, was that uh, you were going to show off. Everybody wanted to show that they had the best, that they were the one who deserved the blue ribbon. Uh, 4-H doesn't come into the agricultural fairs till later, around the early 1900s, but their, the 4-H motto of to make the best better really kind of sums up what these fairs were about. People um, would look around and try and see if there was a better way to do things or if somebody was having luck with something else. And then the third purpose of those fairs was uh, to socialize. This was a good excuse where everybody could kind of get together from all over the county. You'd see people that you didn't normally see. And it was just sort of a, a touchstone that kind of brought people together, that you'd see them at the fair, that you wouldn't see them maybe other times of the year when everybody was about their own business. So it, they really served those three major, uh, major goals. And in accordance to that, I also wanted to mention a little bit, I think this is the best place to put it in, about Almanzo's wheat during the long winter. 
Now, one of the reasons, one of the questions people quite often have is why Almanzo was so hesitant to give up his wheat if he could get more wheat in the spring, as Royal um, basically argued. And part of the reason, I, I mean, I'm not going to go into the whether that was enough to make a difference or any of that, but part of the reason was this was wheat that Almanzo had grown in western Minnesota, which was very close to the South Dakota area. And at that time, what was thought was how uh, you would get the best crop possible was that you would take out of your harvest, you would select the best of the best, and that is what you would save for seed. And after you had started out with sort of generic seed, after you did this for a number of years on the same piece of land or the same sort of piece of land where the weather and the climate and the soil were kind of close to uh, the same every year and you made these selections, you got sort of a personalized version of your seed, a seed that you knew would do well in those conditions. And the seed that Royal was offering to trade out to Almanzo in the spring would have been more kind of generic wheat. Now, people did buy that sort of starter wheat from people. I mean, in fact, that's part of the reason why Royal had a business was because it was a feed and seed. But a lot of people would keep their seed and reuse it, and it would get more and more focused and more and more attuned to their particular spot. And that's what Almanzo didn't want to give up. He didn't want to give up the fact that the wheat was sort of attuned to that climate already because he had to start all over with the the fresh wheat that he bought. Now, that was held true all through the 19th century that that was the best way to get your wheat. And during the 20th century, actually, in Iowa, by the name of Henry Wallace, who um, was actually connected with George Washington Carver and went on to be vice president, but he is the one who introduced the concept of hybridization. And he showed that the selection of the best of the best, while that was uh, would give you a good rate of return and would give you sort of a personalized to your conditions seed, it couldn't produce as much as a hybrid. And that's when the whole seed companies coming in and the specialization and only being able to use the seed for one generation um, to keep the hybridization going, you'd have to buy seed every year. And that really kind of changed. But um, that picking the best of the best was part of this agricultural fair process in the 19th century. So I thought it might understand that a little bit. Now, uh, going on from that, I wanted to kind of move into a little bit towards fairs today and the things that you could see. Now, for, uh, you can kind of compare different fairs through several connections. One, you have fairs that are um, different sizes. You have the county fairs, which is a, where a lot of um, people do their fair interacting. It's just their little county fair and people come in and show and it's just your neighbors and 
you're mostly still focused on those kind of ag-related projects, though quite often they will also have sections. So you can have like needlework or jam making like uh, Mrs. Uh, like the Wilders put in. And so there's, there's more kind of a general feel. There might be photography. There might be all sorts of different things. But it's just sort of that same little kind of local area. As opposed to that, there are regional fairs. Now, this can get a little tricky because sometimes they have different names, like uh, the All-Iowa Fair was one for many years, or they can be the State Fair, the Iowa State Fair, second biggest one in the country, or they can just be county fairs that kind of got big, like the um, Clay County Fair, or the Great Jones County Fair, which really are more regional fairs. And what has happened with fairs really kind of depends on the area and it depends on the administration of the fair. Most fairs are run by local agricultural associations whose sole purpose is to put on the fair and maintain the fairgrounds and run it out for other events during the year. Sometimes they've done a really good job and you'll have very strong active fairs. Some places, not so much. In fact, several regional fairs have uh, gone completely out of business because they got to the point where they really could not sustain putting on the fair anymore. But at the same time, you've got places like the Iowa State Fair that is still getting record admissions every year. So I don't think it's so much that fairs are gone but or or on their way out even, but it really kind of is dependent on the local situation and how things are handled. Uh, there other kind of um, difference between fairs is whether they're a 4-H FFA fair or an open class fair. Now, as they say, 4-H and FFA, which is um, uh, Future Farmers of America, which is a different organization, but they uh, in some ways do similar things. So if you, and a lot of times with fairs, they, they work together. So if you have a 4-H FFA fair, then pretty much everybody who is exhibiting is somebody who is in 4-H or FFA. That means that they, in 4-H, it means they're um, 18 or under. Uh, FFA, I believe you can go a couple more years longer than that. But they're, they're young people who are learning how to do things. And while there still can be people who are out for blood, that it's really basically more of supposed to be anyway, more of a learning experience for the people involved with showing. With the open class fairs, that means anybody can enter. And sometimes you'll have a fair that's set up, especially the regional fairs, that will have both. Like at the Iowa State Fair, there's a 4-H building, but there's another building on there for the FFA, and then there's another building on there, which are truly, or a couple of buildings that are open classes. So that means anybody can enter an open class. So uh, if you want to exhibit at a fair and there's a fair in your area, it doesn't matter, or pretty much anywhere, uh, if you can get to the fairgrounds on the day you're supposed to deliver your, your project and submit it, fill out the form, pay any entry fees, 
you can show at the fair. They'll have judges come in uh, with open classes. There's a lot more uh, times when there'll be an actual prize, like prize money or something. And um, there's people take um, great pains to try and, and be the best. It tends to be um, something that it, it's very, very competitive if you have an open open class fair. So that's one difference that you might see if you were going around. Then you have things like uh, specialty fairs. Now, as they say, there have been fairs that have shut down. There are lots of fairs that attendance and entries are down on. So sometimes they try and make uh, fair kind of uh, into something else to try and make sure they get people through the gate to get money to support everything else. A lot of these uh, would team them with concerts and they'd have paid admission concerts in conjunction with the fair. Uh, sometimes they'll have other kind of specialty things. So it may be that they're, they have the regular fair and then they have a dog show or they have a regular fair and you know something else. So there are these specialty fairs. There's, there's several that have uh, gotten to the point where they're basically concerts with a few little fair things left added on. So what kind of things can you show at a fair? You can show animals, uh, which you can either do uh, purebred or commercial. A purebred animal is one that comes from a certain uh, acknowledged breed on both sides. You usually have paperwork that looks like genealogy paperwork that tracks back their lineage. And it's important for those to meet at least the current standards for the breed. That's sort of the whole idea behind that. You're trying to match the current standards. Then you also have uh, things that are shown in commercial classes, which are quite often more of a mix of breeds, uh, that the lineage isn't important. Um, those tend to have um, be more animals that are destined uh, to be sold for meat processing. And so they're looking for different types of categories with them. And you have things like um, cows and goats and sheep. Uh, though as a person who uh, I showed with the first couple years when I started showing cows told me where the money is is in the poultry. And then there's rabbits and chickens and turkeys and all sorts of things. And then although the commercial part doesn't count, there's horses and dog shows and pet shows and all sorts of things like that. There's also garden stuff that tends to be a big area and uh, you'll have to bring in like zucchinis that are six inches that have an inch of stem and then meet all sorts of other requirements. So things like that. Uh, and then you could do flowers with the garden stuff, arrangements, terrarium, and of course they say the vegetables. Then they can have crop stuff. Now some fairs have quit the, the crop aspect, but this was part of the original idea behind the fair, that you'd bring in a sample of rye or you'd bring in a sample of oats or you'd bring in a sample of wheat and then they'd judge which one was the best. And a lot of times that's FFA. Sometimes uh, it's 
there's still some open classes that do that. Then anymore, uh, there's usually a, a large photography display. There may or may not be a fine arts display. Uh, there'd be industrial arts and mechanics. So you see people who restore old tractors, people who build carts and dog houses and um, just all sorts of things like that. Uh, I made a wood shelf once, just so uh, things like that that are the industrial arts and mechanics. Then there's usually an element where there will be a fashion show uh, for clothing. And it used to be that all the clothing had to be uh, stuff that you personally made. Anymore, they have categories that you have just uh, put an outfit together for the least amount of money or chose a good outfit or altered an outfit that was store-bought. So that's changed a little bit, but that's normally part of it. Home improvement, which is going to be things like uh, you refinished a chair, uh, you got something uh, that you upholstered, uh, that you um, had restored something that uh, maybe a piece in your family and uh, cleaned off the tarnish or something like that. Then there's food waste. So you'd have cooking things. You'd have um, make a recipe of blueberry muffins from the 1950s and one from today and compare how uh, it changed as far as the product goes or how much sugar is in the drinks you choose. That would be one. Or uh, it could just be a plain baking uh, product that you brought in. And then there's self-improvement, which can be just about anything that you set yourself as a task. In fact, the theme song to this show was a self-improvement project that I entered in the 4-H fair back when I was in 4-H. Money management tends to be a big thing anymore. And then there's all sorts of other things like rocketry and all sorts of stuff. And that's all in sort of the showing area. If you're showing pretty much anything other than livestock, you're going to bring your stuff at the beginning of the day. You might hang around if you have other stuff going on, like if you're shooting off a rocket or if you have to do a presentation or if you're uh, doing conference judging the first day. Conference judging is where they have uh, the person who brings in the item is sitting there talking to the judge and the judge talks to them about it. Uh, what they might have done differently, what they like about it, what might be a project next year to build on it, that sort of thing. So if you got something like that going on, you may hang out still at the fairgrounds. But for the most part, if you aren't showing livestock, you're not going to be at the fair most of the time in all likelihood. If you are showing livestock, then you have to be responsible for taking care of the animal the whole time they're there. So... Uh, it used to be more frequent for people to actually spend the night in the barns with the animals. They don't really do that so much anymore because they try and have more of a watch most places um, so people don't mess with the animals. But uh, you still have to check it quite frequently. You have to bring them food and water, clean up after them, change out their bedding. Um, before showing, you have to wash them up and groom them and... Uh, changing, uh, clip them maybe if you haven't done that already. 
So there's always you're always having to go back and, and check the animal. And that's just a little bit different experience in the fair because you'll have a little spot with your show box and usually some chairs and it'll be a place where you sort of belong. That's your spot on the fair. And it's a very different experience than if you just kind of go in and out, that if you have a place to belong and come back to and you go out and, I don't know, get a bag of cheese curds or then come back, go around to the commercial buildings and then come back. But you always have that spot where you belong at the fair if you're showing animals, which is a nice thing to do. Uh, Now, other things that are going on around the fair buildings besides these kind of projects uh, there's most likely going to be a section of commercial booths. That's going to be places where actual businesses rent out space and sort of do little advertising things in hopes that it will make you come for your project. They do a lot of drawings to get people's names um, and give away prizes. And then they may have little learning things. Like uh, quite often the sheriff's department will have a little thing that shows what happens if you take your boat too near a dam or... Um, you know, things like that. Lots of giveaways, too, that just everybody gets a giveaway. This year at the fairs I've been at, canvas bags have been very popular, which is definitely a stage up from a lot of them. Pencils, though, are a mainstay, plastic bags, fans, uh, yardsticks, uh, fly swatters are all things you see a lot at the commercial booths. And they can be a lot of fun. I always would go around and check, or I always go around and check and sign up for various things when you're there. Then there's going to be a midway usually, which uh, midways have a schedule where they're going everywhere around uh, different midway companies are basically the rides and the games, and they will ride into your fairgrounds, set up the rides and the games be there for the week, and then move on someplace else. So they're usually not anything local, and there'll be little rides like carousels and um, twister things and little airplanes you can ride, and then they'll have um, ones where you try and knock over milk cans or try and throw a dart through a balloon and pop it, and games like that. There's normally a variety tent, where even if they aren't doing paid concerts, they will normally have some kind of music during the day. Sometimes they have storytelling. Sometimes they have bingo games. Just a variety of stuff goes on there, which is why they call it the Variety Tent. A lot of fairgrounds will have a historic village because somebody somewhere will have said, oh, we've got this one-room school or we've got this church or we've got this log cabin and we don't know what to do with it. Uh, the owner said they'll donate it, but they don't want it left there or nobody can get to it wherever it is. So let's put it in some place people can get to. Oh, I know we can put it in a corner of the fairgrounds. So that happens. And there's a lot of one-room school museums, a lot of cabin museums, a lot of old churches like that. And these little his- sort of miniature historic villages are often only open up during the fair when you can go through and see them. So if you hit a fairground, be sure to look and see if there's a historic village. The food, there's always the fair food, all the stuff on the stick, the lemon shake-ups, the cotton candy, all that kind of stuff. And then there are quite often church booths where a group that's either really from a church or from a school or from some sort of organization like that will have recruited parent volunteers to cook food and get it out. And that's 
um, sort of more along the lines of a mom-and-pop diner kind of things. They usually do, you know, cinnamon rolls in the morning and hamburgers and tenderloins and that kind of thing. So it's a little bit more stick-to-your-ribs fair food, but quite often you'll have one of those. And that's the kind of thing that Mr. Mrs. Wilder and uh, her daughters were volunteering at at the fair in Farmer Boy. And you can still go eat at that kind of place. And anymore, they also tend to have sort of various contests going on, even at the local county fairs. They might have a share of the fun contest, which is uh, a 4-H thing where they put on these little acts. Or it could be uh, the talent show uh, that is aiming to get people eventually to go on up to the state fair and have all sorts of cash prizes. So fairs are really kind of complicated things with all sorts of different parts. They're still going on today. They are lots of different sizes depending on where you are, what population base you have, what... Um, what volunteers you have that are willing to actually do the work because it actually is lots of work to put on a fair and some of them still are free entry that they make their money elsewhere and let people come down to the fair without paying an admission other places you have to pay an admission like it was an amusement park or something but going to a fair is a different experience and if you haven't done it there is probably a fair of some size closer to you than you think. And as we get uh, to the last part of summer, there are a lot of times uh, where there'll be sort of the second wave of fairs or the regional fairs will sort of kick in now when it's easier to show the crops and the vegetables and things. So look out and try and find a fair near you if you haven't done it before because I think you'll have fun and you'll understand sort of a part of Almanzo and Laura's life a little bit better. Thank you for joining me today on Trendle Bed Tales, and I will see you next time. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 